You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, where vocal music is our forte. At the top of the hour this hour, getting ready for Vocal Mente. Italian acapella festival Vocal Mente is back again for a fourth great year, coming to Fossano from September 6th through 9th. Headlining the festival this year is quite a lineup, including Danish group Poster, U.S. performers Rockapella, Italian artists Voxes, and Czech group Skeddy. This year's festival is under the artistic direction of group Cluster, and for the first time, access to the concerts is free. You can reserve a seat for under five bucks or just show up without charge. Fasana is in the Piedmont region near the French border and is lovely. So get all the info at vocalmente.net and start making plans now. Hello, Acaville fans, and welcome back to Tacapella, Acaville Radio's weekly talk show. It has been a minute, folks. I have been graduating from grad school, and it has been a while since we have had a new episode, and I am really just excited to be back here. Today, we are joined by not one, but two other people besides me. We have Brian Alexander, who has been on a couple of episodes before, and he's going to be uh, co-hosting this episode with me. Brian, thanks for coming on the show again, this time as a host. Yeah, thanks, John. I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to just to kind of nerd out on a regular basis with Talcapella, so it's going to be awesome. It's better than me sending you texts all the time, like, hey, man, did you hear about this? What about this? What about this? And we're also joined by Aaron Schumacher, who is a member of Impact. I'm pretty sure most of you have probably heard of them. Aaron, thank you for coming on the show as our guest today. Hey, of course, John. Thanks for having me on. This is going to be a fun little chat. It is absolutely going to be a fun little chat. Uh, Guys, how are you doing? This is really nice that I've, I've been off doing school stuff for a bit, and it's nice to kind of come back to Tacapella and get it back up and running here after a little time off. And I'm really glad I could uh, have both of you on the on the show today. Would you both mind going around for a hot sec? And just uh, for people who haven't heard Brian's previous episodes or who don't know a ton about Impact, could you guys just give us quick, like, 30-second Reader's Digest version of your acapella background? Yeah. So uh, this is Brian. I'm basically, I co-founded a group back at the University of North Texas. That was my first really big introduction in acapella. Um, and so I did the green, t- with, uh, sang with the green tones for about four years. And then after graduating, I went on and uh, did a few different post-collegiate groups. I founded some groups, did some things with uh, RAR recorded acapella. And now I currently manage uh, College Acapella, which is a channel dedicated to all the news, pictures, videos, and everything in the world involved with College Acapella. Very nice. And Aaron? Yes. So uh, as far as acapella experience goes, I first started doing acapella music at the University of North Texas, where I, I met Brian. We sang in a group together back there. And he started the group and I jumped in just after he did and was sure to cause him lots of trouble. <laughs> but but I've been singing an impact for, I want to say two and a half years, something like that. And impact as a group has been around for upwards of 23 years. And uh, as far as, as far as kind of the, the history of groups, whenever it started to take really thick vocal harmony and add kind of the beatboxing, bass singer, rhythm section. Impact was, was one of the groups, one of the really strong groups to kind of push that forward. And I'm super fortunate to be a part of it now. The The style that we do tends to represent a lot of vocal jazz harmonies and a lot of really thick harmonies and rhythms and uh, lots of ear candy. 
in ways that Love make the music. Yeah. Mm. That make the music nerds inside of us kind of geek out, but also like <laughs> oh, really duh. soulful, yeah. fast paced, mm. fun stuff. Absolutely. Aaron, I, you should know this. I am really bad with jazz. I don't get it. I am so just like naturally not skilled at it. And I, but I think it's the coolest thing ever. And I would really like to know how much, like, how'd you get into jazz acapella and how much did studying jazz play a role in your contemporary acapella experience? Because whether it's arranging or leading a group or just like how you sing, this experience and this understanding of this genre clearly affects that. So I'd love to just hear a little bit about how how you do vocal jazz and how that affects your, your acapella world. Sure, sure. So I think jazz seems to be, in, to a lot of people, a little bit less accessible than some other types of music or other types of singing and styles. And especially when you get down to play it with people, because there's such a long history to jazz music in itself, sometimes it feels like like this big monolithic thing. When in reality, like um, jazz for most of its history has been outside of the more academic understanding. Mm-hmm. And then since it's kind of worked its ways into the universities, it's after that point that it kind of got um, kind of developed a reputation, I guess, as far as as far as your casual listener is concerned as being something hard or being something inaccessible. But really, when we're talking about jazz, we're really talking about um, a certain kind of approach to harmony and a certain Mm -hmm. standard for like for improv. And that's really at the core of it. Like if you have if you have rhythmic sensibilities that draw from certain traditions and if you have some harmonic, inf- you know, some harmonic language, and then if there's some improv involved, there's there's a case to be made that you're really getting at what the heart of jazz is in that instance. And so I didn't grow up singing jazz at all. Like most of the most of the jazz and soul and funk and R&B stuff, like that was not what I grew up on. I grew up on a lot of country in Texas. I grew <laughs> up on a, a lot of rock and a lot of metal stuff. And it wasn't until I got to college where because I went to I started off going to the University of of North Texas as a music education major. Mm -hmm. So I started off as a trumpet player and was doing all the marching band stuff and doing the education route, all the classes associated with that. And I, from virtue of circumstance, the school that I was going to was also a really great jazz school. And so I found myself auditioning as a trumpet player for the jazz bands there. And over the course of the few years following, I found myself playing in several groups. So I got the chance to play in, you know, Latin jazz groups and uh, like mm-hmm. Pat Metheny style, like very sure. keyboard and guitar driven groups. A lot of different influences. Oh, totally. And I think that's if you haven't had the chance to be around people that play jazz, you know, just tuning into the recordings is is one thing. But when you actually get person to person, you understand that it's more about like it's more about a system of communication and a, right. and a kind of improv like fly by the seat of your pants listening really hard kind of stuff that makes it so engaging but uh it's yeah. definitely kind of can demand a different sensibility yeah than some other music yeah and uh what you're touching on there and it, it kind of describes me perfectly when we started experimenting with uh jazz and the green toes now we didn't get into super hardcore stuff like i, I know some of the incarnations of the group did later on but you know, me, that was my first experience, you know, when we started incorporating things. So do you see kind of any kind of change in between um, the way collegiate groups tackle jazz and acapella versus what you're kind of doing right now with impact at all? Sure. Well, I, 
I definitely see some parallels as the collegiate scene has a has as the quality of the groups have improved substantially over the past several years. Yeah. Is that, mm-hmm. you know, when, for example, when we were with the green tones, like a very fledgling group, you know, everyone in the group doing their own arrangements, um, you know, the, some of the musical sensibilities with the music that we did reflected really basic bare bones, harmony, basic right. bare bones, rhythms and stuff that was genuine to us. But as time went on, we started trying to plug in, you know, more extended harmony, throw in like, oh, if it's a minor chord, if I put a, you know, a minor nine somewhere Mm -hmm. in the middle of that triad, oh, I'm going to get that nice little rub. Well, those are, if we heard that outside of the context of acapella, we might say like, oh, this is jazz harmony. It's an extended harmony that people have been using more frequently in jazz influenced music. But honestly, now a, a lot of the acapella groups are arranging in this really thick, you know, harmonically lush way that might not even understand that necessarily or draw the line that that harmony comes from the jazz tradition. I really appreciate the way you're talking about this, Aaron, because I think, uh, especially this last year in directing the group at Colorado State University, the Mountain Horns, there was a lot of, I felt a lot of responsibility in the sense of what music am I exposing these fairly young singers to and how is that going to grow them as musicians and how are how is the music that I'm introducing going to affect how they lead the group in the future? So our first semester as like a full real group, I was trying to give them like a little bit of everything. And then in the second semester, because they had grappled with whether it's folk music or um, arrangements with just tons of um, background syllables or stuff mm-hmm. that's all homophonic, they had a greater understanding and therefore a greater um, skill set and understanding of how to implement these various vocal idioms. So I'd imagine that it's probably pretty gratifying for you and okay, like you said, uh, basic harmony for maybe the first semester or something, and then you start introducing stuff as you go on and then the group starts to build off of that and then that those ideas, whether it's you know extended chords or improv or whatever, those become a part of like the group's vocabulary in almost scenes. So then when you're choosing arrangements, it doesn't have to be a sense of, or when you're arranging, it's you don't have to think as much about like, oh, can we do this? It's more, oh, we've done this before. We know how to do it now. And now let's see how we can push ourselves further. That's what I always kind of found. It's like you're, it's, you're, it's their acapella diet. And what you feed them now mm-hmm. is going to influence what they can, quote unquote, like eat later. Yeah. yeah, totally. And I think that speaks, you know, that that certainly can be particular to an acapella group. But in a, in a larger, more general sense, like if you can't hear something then you are definitely not going to be able to sing it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. so part of part of trying to kind of grow the musicality of a group is is not just getting them to replicate things but just like massive exposure to new sorts mm-hmm. of things like and I see it especially especially with younger groups we like when we get excited about music one of the first things we want to do is spend some time on harmony. Oh, you first figure out that you can throw on these extra notes and and now there's a whole world of arranging that's opened up to you. But one of the things that so often I feel overlooked is that the same kind of attention being paid to rhythm and being a, being paid to groove and things that uh that are commonly expressed and worked on on a in a musician sense. Like if I'm a drummer, I'm not just trying to play as fast as I can. I'm trying to get that pocket just perfect. Mm-hmm. 
And right. it's hard and it's hard sometimes to set the structure for a group of singers to learn that same kind of skill set unless they're involved in other kinds of music as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think you're getting a lot about talking about the flow. And I, I noticed that with um, a lot of our early on singers, as you know, the, how do we make all of this gel together and, you know, balancing that auditory style versus, you know, who came into the group just knowing how to do sheet music and things like that. And so I think, John, you bring up a good point when you're talking about, about the diet and, Aaron, you know, you bring up a good point of just, you know, gelling everything. And I think it's, it's just, you know, it all makes sense at the end of the day. So, um, so kind of moving on, and, um, and I love what we're talking about here. So one of the things I think a lot of people might not know, um, even though you just spend so much time with Impact, is you also do other groups outside of Impact. So I believe you're part of a group uh, called Top Shelf. Is that correct? Yes. So like Top name. Shelf. Hey. <laughs> High grade. Yeah. Top <laughs> Shelf is a acapella group in Los Angeles doing largely uh, acapella band style stuff. So kind of... Some of the same material style-wise that you might hear collegiate groups doing, but it's a post-collegiate group. Members range from early 20s to early 40s in age. Uh, the group is 25 people, and okay. I've and I've been their director for the past two years. So with that comes like some arranging, but mainly like weekly rehearsals, concerts every couple of months. It's a wonderful group of people. A lot of people that have you know might have sung acapella in college. And then are still looking for uh, a community to to draw in with as well in Los Angeles. So it's a little bit it's kind of similar, I guess, to that mix you get on the college scene. You know, you get people who have done have had that extensive background and then you also get newbies to the group. Would you say that's a fair mix of what Top Shelf is? Absolutely. And you okay. and in the same way as a college group, you have to facilitate uh, you have to facilitate people enjoying themselves, people having, a you know, having a meaningful connection, not just with the music, but with each other and building a framework for people, you know, to, that, that the group will improve their life in a basic way. You know, if, if music doesn't make your life better, then like, why are you doing it? Yeah, well said. And I think uh, something we're kind of touching on here is the eclectic nature of acapella. My group this year, I had um, three music education majors who could just sight read great. I had a bassoon player who had never sung before, um, but he had a great voice. And I had a guy who like amazing, like kind of pop rock voice who couldn't read music, but his oral skills were amazing. He could just like tonal memory back and forth, super easy. So we're always coming into this as music directors or, or just as leaders trying to kind of find a middle ground with everyone? How can we get everyone with both different skill sets, uh, ranges, um, talents, and ideas to kind of congregate around the idea of what this group is? And I think that's where the, what the director essentially does is you provide kind of the focal point of, here is what I'm kind of selling you guys on. Here's what the identity of the group is and how do each of your influences or identities influence what this group will become. And it's, I, I really figured this out this year and how kind of tricky it was. If someone wasn't practicing, it wasn't seen as, oh, this person isn't doing it. It's seen as they are not servicing the group here. They are not, con they're contributing negatively to the feel of the group or the identity. And it's a much more nuanced process of just like, okay, we all have to buy into this, but we also have to buy and we have to buy into the idea of the group and we have to buy into each other and our commitment to that. So um, I think what you're talking about here, Aaron, is is super relevant and I think is kind of a thing 
a lot of uh, directors, I imagine, kind of have to understand at a certain point when they're directing a group. It's not just, you know, how I kind of thought of it was, okay, I'm just going to, you know, lead the warmups. I'll do the arrangements and I'll direct. It became, how am I presenting myself in rehearsal? How am I talking to people about the group? And how am I selling them again, and especially with young groups, on the concept of this is our group and your identity is important to it? Mm, yeah, I think sometimes one of the best ways to facilitate those types of that type of growth process, mm-hmm. I guess, is largely through like straightforward, at least what I found is like straightforward conversation about goals. Totally. J- mm. Just because I may meet some wonderful people who want to be in a singing group together because they love to sing and because they want to get together and they want to have a good time and they want to socialize and they want to make friends and they want to feel vulnerable with people they trust. And that's, and that all becomes such an integral part of what they're hoping to get out of the group. And if the group fails to, to give that to them, then people are unfulfilled and unhappy and it, it ends up kind of resulting in added frustration for everyone along the way. But on the flip side, if you have people in your group who are very, um, they're very focused and critical in the way that they want to, they want to produce something high quality. They want to do something good. They want feelings to become secondary to efficiency. Mm. And and yeah, I've seen that. And yeah, and they definitely want to prioritize the what they see as the growth of the group in a very. Um, mechanical performance driven way. And I'm not disparaging that viewpoint because some of the best groups out there are exactly that way. But if you have different mindsets within a single group and you never have a, uh, if, and you never really have a come to Jesus moment where people understand each other's motivations, then you won't have any bridge building Mm -hmm. that lets people actually work together. Well, absolutely. I had, um, an instance like that this year with one of our great like music ed tenors who to help another member who again had not been singing that long like hey you actually want to try doing it a little like this and you know that was fine some of the other people who weren't used to that were like felt Mm -hmm. either kind of offended um, and then other people felt like there was one guy who had done mainly band when I'd say okay let's correct this he felt and I, I was a band geek way back when too he felt when I would correct things much more not offended, but he took it more personally than people who had been doing choir for years and years would, whether Mm -hmm. it's even just his section or his individual voice. So it's all of like how we say things and interpret things. And I think what the core of this is, is just communication. And I just kind of say like, okay, when I'm saying this, this is what I mean. And this is how Mm -hmm. I hope you will take it. And like having, I, I often hear that come, like people say, come to Jesus. I try to have as many of those moments at like small come to Jesus moments as I can just like explaining to people I'm doing this because of this and this will let us do this and then when I explained my process both for music directing or why we were doing this song versus this song or whatever people bought in to my decisions more because I I explained the logic behind that what are your thoughts on that Brian yeah and and John I think you bring a good point and I was going to say I think a, another element to consider it has to do with maturity and mm-hmm. at the end of the day because Definitely. I look at the way my interactions uh, were with when I was spending my time with Aaron and the Green Tones versus the different collegiate post collegiate groups I was a part of and and that uh post collegiate scene you know we had you know families that were members of the group yeah. we had 
we had a mom and we had a husband who were in the group and, you know, they kind of felt, they kind of just kind of let us do our thing because they were like, Hey, you guys have the previous experience and Hey, you guys are the the leaders. And so we're just going to kind of follow your lead at the end of the day versus the collegiate scene is we had a bunch of kids straight out of high school at the end yeah. of the day <laughs> whose minds weren't quite there yet and who, uh, you know, weren't at that maturity level. And so I think, you know, it's a little bit of mix on, you know, what you're bringing to the table as well as the people who you're working with. And so mm-hmm. and I think all three of us have our own experiences, you know, as yeah. being three directors in a sense. And so, um, you know, I think what Aaron was touching on earlier about the, you know, the mechanics and, you know, I'm just so gung ho about making sure we sound great and making sure each note is learned. And it took me a while to get to that point where how do I fuse that with, you know, how do I build the groups, you know, yeah. the and how do you build the love for the group? How do you build all those, um, you know, non-mechanical elements at the end of the day? Definitely. So guys, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to pass it over to Amanda Tran with her segment, Notable Coverage. And she's going to compare uh, some arrangements and some artists of how they uh, arrange their songs and how the music comes through and all that fun stuff. So we're going to be right back here on Tacapella and listen now to Amanda Tran with Notable Coverage. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, where vocal music is our forte. What's up, everyone? My name is Amanda Tran, and you're listening to Notable Coverage here on Tacapella, only on Acaville Radio. Now, for episode 11, for Notable Coverage, I'm going to review River by Bishop Briggs. So if it's your first time tuning into Notable Coverage, basically what I do is I talk about highly covered songs in the acapella world. Now, I'm not exaggerating when I say I've heard River at every single acapella competition I have attended since the songs were released in January 2016. Songs with melodies that stretch the range, soaring choruses, super moody or soulful verses, crowd vocals or a plus, any dubstepy tempos, clapping, and any other body percussion, just scream, please arrange me for your intense competition set. And boy, did every acapella group get this cue. Um, I feel like it has a similar vibe to Sail by AWOL Nation, and everyone really wants to sing these songs because they are obviously super catchy. They're really intense and moody, and they have that ability to create that kind of vibe for your set, which has really been trendy these past few years. I'm a huge fan of it, um, but please guys, pick another song besides River or Sail. So without further ado, we will dive into a couple of versions that I found that kind of stuck out. The first version that I want to give kudos to was arranged by Chris Brody from Central Harmony's 2017 ICCA set. Now this one really stuck out to me because they made really good use of their large group and the sound effects. A lot of really cool sounds that I feel people don't really ever do. Um, Given the fact that River already has a lot of those cool sounds, um, I just think they they executed it really well. Um, Something that was also really impressive were the super clean and crisp um, rhythmic sections that were in the arrangement. They were super clean. Um, especially considering that they were doing some pretty intensive choreography in their set. Um, it made it even more impressive. 
sometimes less is more. And I think the group did a really great job of interpreting the arrangement. And yeah, take a listen. Next up, we have Thunk Acapella, that's T-H-U-N-K, from Northwestern University. So after watching, at the very least, 25 videos of River Covers, this one was hands down the best solo performance that I could find as far as live performances of River goes. Um, the soloist is Alexa Moster, and her performance was just so powerful, yet controlled, and it was especially consistent. This song really leaves no room for the soloist to mess up. You're pretty much exposed and she did not disappoint. I would equate the song to something that is powerful as Sia or really big Katy Perry choruses or even like a lot of Christina Perry songs that groups like to do in competition. You have no room to mess up and if you do, well, everyone's going to hear it. A super enthusiastic performance. Um, the clip you're going to hear is from that live performance, so you can tell that they're having fun. And I feel like a lot of groups forget to do that, especially when you're in competition mode. Um, but they did a really great job, and I enjoyed watching them, and it seemed like they were enjoying themselves as well. So here you go. <laughs> again for tuning into notable coverage here only on Aquaville Radio. Again, my name is Amanda Tran and you can reach me at all social medias all over the internet at Amanda Tran Rocks. That's at Amanda Tran R-O-C-K-S. I'd love to hear your thoughts on your favorite versions of River or any other popularly covered songs in the acapella world. Um, and I'd love to hear your take, so definitely reach out and I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks. Bye. And welcome back to Tacapella.
Was that good? Did it I do it? It was great. It was great. <laughs> oh, that was perfect. That was great. I didn't expect anything less. <laughs> well, hey guys, we're back on Tacapella. And well, today we've been discussing uh, acapella, the post-collegiate scene, a little bit of jazz with our guest today, Aaron Schumacher. He's a member of Impact, which many of us in the acapella community know as one of the best vocal mm-hmm. jazz groups in the, on the scene. So Aaron, just to kind of get things going again, um, how were you tapped exactly for Impact? You know, how did they find you? And then can you tell us a little bit about your role within the group? Did they send sure. you like a letter, like from Hogwarts, like stuff it down your chimney or anything like that with like an <laughs> owl? Because that's how I've always ma- wanted to have an acapella group contact me. There was a magical jazz house elf that just showed up in my room one day. Oh, you and- lucky something. That sounds kind of terrifying, not going to lie. I think I'd be pretty terrified. Oh, uh, if... <laughs> he, speak, he speaks like Miles Davis. He's like, hey, you you want to be in a group? <laughs> like, <laughs> now, um, so, yeah. I, so I was hit up to sing with Impact after subbing with Impact a few times, which is fairly typical. Uh, if you are in a larger city with a professional music scene of any kind, so much work can be introduced to your workflow initially by subbing for somebody else. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, you'll hear so many educators say, you got to be at the top of your game and have to be ready and willing and have your professionalism on lock and have your skill set on lock because the minute somebody else that is already plugged in, well, the minute they need coverage or they need a hand, you want to be their person. And so in my particular instance, they're the former alto in Impact, uh, gentleman Jarrett Johnson. He had to miss a few dates for some other type of work. I think he, I don't know if this was the same gig or beforehand, but he was touring with Take Six. He was mm-hmm. subbing with Take Six some, wow. and he was also singing backup for Michael Bublé on tour. So as one does, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, life life is hard. So <laughs> he uh. So he had to miss a few dates and I happened to have met the impact guys, both at shows and at other kind of little music hangs. And so they hit me up to learn the music, spend two or three weeks with rehearsals, you know, rehearsal time with the guys. And then I did a week of shows with them. And that was in April, like over two, two some odd years ago. And so with that in mind, when impact ended up having a little bit of membership shift. I was on the call list uh, to check my interest in being part of the new lineup and I followed through and I've been loving it since. Oh, wow. So yeah. were you a sub in along with other guys or was it just you were the, I guess, one additional one at the time or how did that kind of play out? Sure. So I think the general workflow is that there's usually a sub you know, one or two possible subs per part Mm. that have at least been contacted or been set up. And some parts that's easier for others, Mm -hmm. meaning like in impact, one of the staples of the impact sound, since it's an all male group, we have a a very high male soprano that lives up in the countertenor range. And so sometimes it's hard to find, you know, a single great sub for that part as to where there are, we, we are lucky to know several really good baritones who Mm -hmm. are happy to sub with the group. So with that in mind, the call list, like the sub list isn't necessarily one per part, but it ends up being close to that. 
I'm curious because I've never subbed for a group or because my, I'm, I'm again, I'm just really out of school. I haven't ever been in a post-collegiate sure. group where subbing was a thing. How does subbing from your experience contribute to group identity? Because I know for mm. Mountain Horns this past year, my group, when, you know, when someone wasn't there just based on a collegiate group, you know, you don't really get a sub because I don't know, they'll be back at the next rehearsal or something like that. But this idea, and when that person wasn't there, whoever it was, it was kind of like, ah, they're not here. That's a bummer. I guess we just deal with it. But the idea of subbing uh, introduces kind of a nuance to that, where if someone's like, hey, I can't take, I can't be here for three weeks, that'd be, that'd be so strange for Mountain Horns. I'm just kind of thinking back to that. What is, what is your opinion and what's your experience with how does subbing affect acapella group identity? Sure. Well, I think, you know, so much of being in a musical group with people is, your personal journey with the group of of trusting everyone mm-hmm. and of getting to a place of vulnerability where you're where you're really willing to work hard for mm-hmm. everyone and with everyone and that's like you know that's learning to love people is what that is and so when somebody through circumstance or other work or whatever the case may be can't be there it can definitely mess with the dynamic a little bit but uh i am fortunate in that impact doesn't sub out uh very often at all and part of that reason is because the we tend to do music that's pretty complicated. So having somebody come in and jump on jump into the group is a pretty lengthy process and can be a little more demanding than some singers expect. So for example, we had uh and I'm I'm not gonna say any particular names or anything, but we had been looking at a sub over this past year where we were trying to get this one gentleman in to sing with us. And he was, you know, fresh out of college, did great in his school program there, sang in groups, sang in all kinds of gospel, jazz, whatever, an amazing voice. And mm-hmm. then he showed up for these rehearsals and was not prepared to the level that a professional group requires. So, for example, beforehand, we send out charts, we send out files, we send out recordings. It may be an hour and a half long show that you need to have memorized by the time you get to our first rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And, and when it's, you know, when it's complicated, that, that can be asking a lot of subs. And so that usually ends up being a large rehearsal process for everyone else in the group. So that's honestly kind of where the emotional toll is, is it's not just through somebody missing. It's also that every time somebody misses, it requires so much more work of the, the people that are on the gig to make everything pull together. Yeah, so um, kind of preparation is a bit more, even more important, I guess, in a, a group like you all's versus the the typical college group where, you know, you have a few rehearsals a week. I'm like, you guys are just coming in and you're just, you have to be on top of, you know, five, six sheets or, you know, is that, is that completely different? Or I would say I have played in many different kinds of groups as an instrumentalist and as a singer, and I've never been in an environment like impact when it comes to the level of preparation. And so my first impact rehearsal, I had already spent hours upon hours, like with the learning tracks in my ear, pouring over the music. I'm sitting there going, okay, so on this one chord, I have to jump up to the sharp nine, but I got to make sure that's flat enough. So it's not rubbing up against that three down below it, you know? So you're, Mm -hmm. you've already memorized all this, the sources of potential problems before you ever walk in the room. And that's different than a lot of 
college singers who are largely there to just sing and have fun with other people. It's one of the differences between the professional and collegiate sides, I guess. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, how was there an audition process for the group? Like, where you go in, do a solo, or because they knew you and knew what you could do, did they just call you up and offer you the gig? Mm-hmm. So... It was definitely uh, a little bit of an audition process, but not super formalized. Mm -hmm. I think everyone that's gotten into the group over the past, you know, everyone that's gone through Impact in the past 10 plus years has been someone who has worked with with the members of the current group Mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. And so it's so much of a, uh, your your impression among your peers says a lot more about about the prospect of working with you than a sim- than a simple audition probably would. And so we definitely had a little bit of a process like come in, you know, sing some different parts. Mm-hmm. We're going to sight read some stuff. We're going to see how well you can prepare beforehand, but see how well you can blend with these different voices like that's definitely a part of it, but but building your reputation over the long term is is definitely larger. So was it um more stressful, less stressful than your typical other auditions? Um, I would say, well, for the impact, for the actual audition time, mm-hmm. you know, it was, that was a very small amount of time compared to all of the time I spent subbing with the group. So the subbing part was definitely more stressful, mm-hmm. um, as to where your regular audition, you know, you walk in, you sing a song, you shake some hands and you go home. <laughs> yeah. For those, uh, wondering, um, the auditions are still the same, quite similar <laughs> once you <laughs> you go into a post collegiate world versus college. So no, that makes a lot of sense, you know. Um, and and man, I just I think a lot about jazz. I, I've watched tons of impact videos, and I was just like, man, the things that you guys are able to do, you make it seem so effortless. But not thinking that hey, these are nuances and experiences that you guys have just been developing over the years. So it's you know it's just been a part of you, I guess, in a way. So that makes a lot of sense. It kind of all sounds like um, almost like a long-term job interview. It's networking. And it's, you know, how I kind of approached everything. Like, I don't know, when I first went to grad school at Colorado State, it's like, well, I just go in there and I sing and that's it. But it's much more building relationships. And this is true for the whole acapella community. You're building relationships. You are establishing yourself not just as a good singer, but as a good person, a good worker. And people are like getting to know you. I know I have people who've auditioned for the group and I'm like, man, this person's a good singer, but I, for my group, and I'm like, but I don't know their work ethic just because like, this was last year when I was auditioning the group, I just didn't have that built into the audition. So what the group is actually doing this year, at least I'm pretty sure they're planning to do this because I told them they should after they do the, you know, the initial audition, they do the callback where you learn a piece and I read, uh, I encourage them do kind of like a little interview thing at the very end, like a five minute, just like, Hey, if you were in this group, what would you bring to it? Like really just try and feel out their personality because these kind of things we're talking about, you know, with a group like impact or professional groups, that's expected. And, you know, you prove that over the long term. but for uh, collegiate groups, um, or even groups where they, you haven't like kind of proved yourself over this, this extended period of time, it can be kind of scary or just kind of uncertain where it's like, okay, this person's great. Will they work out? Cause I've had people auditioned for my mm-hmm. groups before and they have a solid audition and then they, maybe they have an attitude thing or they're known for just not being at rehearsals. And usually I've been able to work through those things, but 
getting to just know someone inherently um, and how, what they're going to bring to the process and frankly, just how hard they're going to work and how committed they're going to be. That's huge. Sometimes that's, you know, one, one thing my old director told me was the best choirs don't always have the best singers. It has like the best workers. Um, that's and that's true. super important. And that's, that's something that took, I took, I remember when he said that, I was like, what the heck? No, that's not true. And then I learned it the hard way <laughs> multiple times. So I think, I think it's great that you're, you're touching on this because, networking and in this really interconnected age and when acapella is so huge these are all things we should be aware of how you're presenting yourself to groups how you are growing as an individual and how you fit in your community it's important sure and i think you know when i first was trying to learn the concept of networking Mm -hmm. um i identified networking as being something that i went out and did yeah. You know, I'm going to go out, I'm going to meet people, I'm going to put on my happy face. I'm mm-hmm. going to shake, you know, give a firm handshake. I'm going to really give a really give a great impression. And those things are important, but I think at least for me, the the concept of networking does not hit it hard, hit as hard at the core of the workflow I've experienced as much as literally just working on yourself. Mm-hmm. Like right. I can try and go out and be proactive and meet people and that's great. But if I've not spent some serious time working on my skill set for, foremost, but, but also like just working on being a good person, mm-hmm. then, you know, if I have not worked out some of the kinks of my personality, if I treat people a little more rudely than I should, or if I like, if I were to have an attitude problem or if I were to be impatient or if I were to be anything else that lends itself to unprofessionalism, you know, I can network and give somebody that handshake, but they pick up on all, all that other stuff mm-hmm. immediately after the handshake. And so networking in itself doesn't go very far if if you're not really applying a, a kind of internal attention. Definitely. Well said. It's the mm-hmm. It's the product that you are kind of selling here. You can have great advertisements, but if the product itself is... It's pretty crappy then you're not going to get that far i think i think that's super important and something that we can all just like recognize like yeah I, I should work on that or i should you know how can i be the best version of myself in these groups in these ensembles it's super important so totally. we're going to take uh one more quick break here and then we're going to be right back here and wrapping this episode up with aaron and we're going to be right back here on tacapella You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, giving listeners worldwide something to sing about. Unfortunately 
and welcome back to Tacapella. So we've been having a lot of fun tonight discussing professionalism, discussing jazz, discussing any and everything with our guest Aaron Schumacher today. And so as we kind of wind down the show, Aaron, I'm just curious, you know, what if you could offer one piece of advice to, you know, whether it's the up and coming acapella singer or those who are in the post collegiate space or, you know, anyone in between, you know, what piece of advice would you give them about? acapella or you know professionalism or anything that comes to mind mm. okay let me see if i can do this <laughs> gotta take all the thoughts and distill it down <laughs> to the most important <laughs> thing i could ever tell somebody um i would say that to all the acapella singers out there you know that you may see yourself as an acapella singer and underneath that, you see yourself as a singer. And underneath that, you see yourself as somebody who loves music. And if you keep going under each layer, at the bottom of that, of that you are a person who is, um, who is in all of their activities and their musical adventures. You're setting up a way to have a community and to love others and to love yourself. And if you don't allow space for that in whatever you're doing, or if you don't allow focus on that in whatever you're doing, the the magic that an acapella group or the magic that a musical group or experience can be for you, uh, it doesn't it doesn't do what it can. It falls short. And so my advice would be, you know, don't forget to be vulnerable. Don't forget to care about others and to care about yourself and be willing to be willing to grow with the people that are just as invested in the experience as you are. So the people that you are lucky to be around in your acapella groups and your communities right now, those are going to be some of the people that teach you things about life and about yourself. And that is worth so much in the world. And so all of the music comes secondary to that and is made better by that. So if you really want to be the best musician and best acapella singer you can, you got to focus on that stuff too. Well said. Very well said. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on Tacapella today for our return episode. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you or Impact or Top Shelf, how could they do that? So if you want to find me, feel free to find me on Facebook or you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram name is Shu Aaron, which is spelled S-C-H-U-A-A-R-O-N. Uh, if you want to find more about Impact, which I would recommend you do because it's fun stuff. You, sh you can go to www.m-pact.com or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram with the handle Impact Music. And so that's M-P-A-C-T Music. So there's a dash in the website. There's not a dash in the Instagram. You get the idea. If you are interested in a post-collegiate group or watching a great post-collegiate group and you happen to be in Los Angeles area, you can check out the group that I direct, which is called Top Shelf, by going to www.topshelfvocal.com or searching Top Shelf Vocal on Facebook. Thanks again. Boom. Brian, what's your info out there, man? So if you want to find me, um, I do not recommend Twitter because I hardly ever use that. But you can hey, find me. Hey, you've liked me. a few of my tweets. You're like one of three people <laughs> who has, like ever. All right, all right. Well, let me do that again. Uh, <laughs> If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at Brian with an I underscore A05. 
on Twitter. Uh, feel free to look me up on Facebook, Brian Alexander. There's tons of those out there. And then uh, if you really want to support all the different causes I'm a part of, uh, please go follow College Acapella on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, we're doing the latest and the greatest with everything involving college groups. Boom. And then everyone, if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me at John Lampus, J-O-H-N-L-A-M-P-U-S on Instagram and Twitter. But more importantly, follow the station at Acaville Radio, A-C-A-V-I-L-L-E-R-A-D-I-O. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are everywhere and we appreciate your support. Aaron, thank you for being our guest on our return episode. Brian, thank you for being uh, a co-host today. It was really great to have you on. John, Brian, thank you so much for having me on. It's been great. Absolutely. Loved it. It was awesome. Everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of Tacapella. And for everything acapella, please stay tuned. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, where every instrument is portable. and crew was a bound to be chewed when the gales of November came early. The ship was the pride of the American side coming back from some mill in Wisconsin. As big freight as gold it was bigger than most with the crew and good captain well seasoned. Concluding some terms with a couple steel firms When it left fully loaded for Cleveland And later that night when the ship's bell rang Could it be the north wind that they're
The church bell chimed till it rang twenty-nine times For each man on the Edmund Fitzgerald The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down Of the big lake they call Gitchagumi Superior they said never gives up her dead When the gale 